What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce industry. We touch on all topics, anything from sourcing, logistics, marketing, advertising, business operations, you name it. We probably touch on it in this podcast. This is episode 208. So if you've been here before, if you've never heard an episode, thanks for joining it in today uh, for watching on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter live. Uh, what does that mean live? Well, you can actually... in interact with our podcast by asking your questions in the comment section. Just go ahead and shout out where you're listening from, what questions you might have, anything of the sort, or just comments you might have about the podcast or for our guests, as always. But if you're new to the show, this podcast is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Who's Ping Pong Payments? Well, it's helping more sellers and entrepreneurs save more of their money, put more money back to that bottom line, make themselves more profitable. What's that look like? Whether it's sending or receiving funds internationally with your suppliers, your sourcing experts, your VAs, if you're working with multiple VAs internationally, help them save some money at their bottom line and don't pay fees or banks or any other sort of third-party software. Sign up for free with Ping Pong Payments. Just go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast in order to check out past episodes of our podcast, but also to sign up for free today. You won't regret it. Go ahead and check out Ping Pong Payments and let them know Crossover Commerce sent you. That being said, again, episode 208, we're trucking along through this week. I called it D-Week. We're going to take it a D-Week because all of our guests before today started with D. But we're going to go ahead and pivot a little bit back to one of the newsworthy, I'm going to call it, uh, businesses that keep flashing great headlines in the Amazon and e-commerce space, and that is the company Perch. Who's Perch? That is the company, one of the biggest fundraising aggregators in the space, acquiring now over 100 brands to date that they're operating and managing, not just in the United States or North America, but worldwide. So many great things that are coming out of them. Um, one of the favorite topics I love discussing is taking those businesses and elevating them to the next level and how they're doing that. We're going to be talking about, as you saw in the episode, we're going to be calling this one Aggregator 2022 Trends, Tech, Talent, and Turbulence. What do each of those mean? Well, we're going to be going through that today. I want to bring back, again, I call him friend of the show already. He made his first appearance on our 200th episode. Without getting his first standalone episode, I wanted to go back and just make sure that we were able to sit one-on-one -on -one and discuss all things Perch with him directly. So I want to bring on friend of the show, but now he can get his full episode in with me, Nathan Semensky of Perch. Nathan, thanks for coming on Crossover Commerce. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me, Ryan. This is a, this is a pleasure. It was great being on episode 200 and the standalone should be fun. <laughs> well, now you get a full hour to talk and not have to worry about uh, talking and sharing your time with other people. So I'm appreciative that you said yes. Um, you have a sweet studio. We I already know where you're talking from, but uh, for people who know Perch, located in Boston, but that is not where you are, correct? Where are you talking uh, from today? Yeah. So without getting as specific as a city, I'm kind of being a digital nomad right now, but I am in uh, Op Art Studios here, which is a, a music studio that a friend and I Launched about a year and a half, two years ago, and uh, we've not lived together in a while, but I'm visiting him here in Op Art Studios, and this is uh, uh, kind of mirroring what you've got going on here in the background. So I was going to say, <laughs> great minds think alike. Um, I, I swear this is the thing that people ask about is the background first and foremost when they hop on here. It's simply just uh, foam padding, and, or I should say a little felt padding. You can buy it on Amazon if you, uh, it's a third-party seller, so I'm supporting the small business owners out there, uh, making sure that, again, uh, it's a super great product. It gives a lot of uh, design dimension and actually functionality. It Because I'm in a corner, everything reverberates around here, so had to get, had to get something in here to help with that. But hey, thanks for uh, jumping around. I know you're traveling around. That's the beauty of being in the business we are today, right, is you get to travel and work at the same time, no matter where you are. So um we haven't gotten into your background yet nathan so what, what's you were employee like one of the first couple employees joined at perch but kind of give me your background to where we are today 
Yeah, I was employee 38 at Perch. I joined in kind of like March of 2020, which was early days. It was before the, the big SoftBank, uh, you know, 775 million Series A, you know, and at that time, you know, I wasn't sure what the trajectory was. I knew that we were going up, but I didn't realize that, you know, it would be so quick. And like we ramped up to like 200 and nearly 260 people uh, since I joined. So it's been like a, a whirlwind. Um, but my background is I kind of took a long and winding road into e-commerce. So um, originally out of college, I wanted to be an ambassador really badly. And so I, I joined the State Department through this thing called the Fulbright Program, which is a cool kind of opportunity to go abroad and kind of work um, with kind of kind of be a cultural ambassador, essentially, in another country. So I lived in Korea for a, a, almost two years um, and my family has like many connections to Korea going back to my grandfather who fought in the Korean War. Both my parents are in the military and were stationed in Korea briefly. And then uh, we hosted an exchange student from Korea for like 10 years. So it just felt like it was an exchange program, but I hadn't actually done the exchange on my end to Korea. So felt like it was my job to go to Korea. So I, I lived there, I taught English and I did a few other cool kind of projects, the cultural ambassadorship type of projects um, while I was there and then uh, came home um, kind of unexpectedly due to a family issue was looking for the next thing um, and fell into kind of PR and marketing um, with a kind of boutique agency called Indicate Media, um, who just had some really amazing clients all over the um, kind of the tech world, anywhere from kind of big data analytic companies, you know, publicly traded Indian companies, US companies, um, down to kind of even a, a VC. And so one of our VC clients was Volition Capital which is um, a Boston-based VC fund that was um, somewhat famously the first investor in Chewy.com. And so through that, you know, they're, they're, they have bona fides in the e-commerce world because Chewy was such a success story and was, you know, turned down by over a hundred different VCs before they ended up with Volition. And uh, so, you know, that is now a publicly traded company and is one of the biggest kind of pet food um, e-commerce platforms. And, and so I kind of got to, you know, be a fly on the wall in conversations with Ryan Cohen and, and the lead investor, Larry Chang, and just absorb a lot. And I was fascinated with the e-commerce world. And, um, and so anyways, uh, I was exposed to the aggregator model as a result of my work with Volition Capital. And, and I, saw, um, I, I saw an investment thesis and my job was literally to turn it into a blog post. And, and I saw an investment thesis, uh, you know, looking at this model. And I was so fascinated by it. And I was like, I have to find a way into this industry, into the aggregator industry, um, which, you know, for people who don't know in your audience, I think most should. But, you know, e-commerce aggregators um, like Perch are um, essentially private equity for Amazon businesses. We, we acquire Amazon businesses. We roll them up kind of at scale and and try to look for ways to use economies of scale and, you know, um, greater marketing dollars and things like that. Um, to to really grow those brands and take them to the next level, uh, you know, typically these e-commerce entrepreneurs on Amazon, um, you know, are husband-wife couple or um, kind of a small, you know, uh, bootstrap team, essentially. And you just kind of, you hit that threshold when you're successful on Amazon where you just don't, you know, you just don't know how to scale it. Like you either have to build a team or, you know, you can sell it. And so that's what Perch does is kind of give them liquidity, um, you know, where they can, you know, right off in the sunset, do the next thing. And, um, and then Perch can kind of get the economies of scale going and optimize the brands at scale. So, so I saw the general model and was fascinated and, and put feelers out and um, ended up at Perch. And I'm really glad that that, that worked out because Perch is, has proved to be a really awesome company. And I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm sure they're, they're glad to have you here. So uh, obviously there too. So what, what, what's such a crazy thing is like you joined actually really early, like tw early 2020 when a lot of the news hadn't broke, like you had mentioned too, which is really fascinating as a, as a person of e-commerce, like you came in and you pervade it really quickly. Has it, what has it been like now coming, jumping into it and kind of immersing yourself almost like a full year of, Hey, I know e-commerce, e I can see where Amazon people go through and the ups and downs of it all. You probably hit probably one of the craziest, I guess, two years or so of, uh, of e-commerce in Amazon in terms of like lockdown, same here at uh, ping pong. I joined in April of 2020 here 
and just kind of have seen everything through the lens of both pandemic, but uh, sourcing logistics, all the kind of ups and downs that I was going through on. What's it been like to kind of look through it as a not normal times uh, employee there? Yeah, well, um, you know, I mean, I, I think the pandemic really spurred a lot of the early investment into the space. It, it got a lot of people thinking about, man, maybe e-commerce because there was this huge, you know, COVID pop that happened in, in the early days and really, really through the end of 2021, it, it kind of dropped off in the summer. Um, we know where people had gotten the vaccine and were going out and shopping in stores. But, but you know, e-commerce has been on this long run. And, and so the industry exploded and, and it was fascinating. But, you know, the e-commerce has been growing extraordinarily fast for a long time. And, you know, though there was this crazy pop and kind of maybe a normalization that's happened, you know, it will continue to grow. And, you know, I think I think we're around at 13% of, of all kind of retail sales are e-commerce today, which is still early innings. You know what I mean? So in, in the COVID pop, I think it went up to 16% and it's now back around 13 or something like that. But it's going to creep up, you know, year over year. The, you know, the last decade or so has been this crazy explosion with new marketplaces and Amazon. Um, and so I'm just excited to be part of it. It's just been fascinating. Absolutely. And the number you're referencing is definitely on point. Obviously, it fluctuates quarter to quarter, um, depending on seasonality and whatnot. And that's the thing to mention when we say retail sales for everyone listening to this. Retail sales can be anything of you buy in a grocery store, a brick and mortar store across the board, all around the world. E-commerce makes up, you said, r roughly, and that's correct. Again, 13 to 16%, depending on se seasonality. And of that 16 or 13%, 42 again maybe 50 now a percent is amazon sales yep. so maybe that that's the curiosity of why this is so small in the minute in comparison to the people outside of amazon and uh the space that live in and breathe in it there's still so much opportunity for growth and expansion and and just making an impact in the space um and that's what i think purchase companies like you guys are doing so that that being said is there what what's kind of the vision that you you kind of see perch going high level in in 2022 maybe let's let's start with that and how you're going to continue to evolve we have 100 brands in our portfolio is it going to be continue to be agnostic going to different channels what what is that in your high level view you think yeah well you know we took the you know go, going into cyber 5 you know we we were so focused on organic growth and we still are because you know it's it's really about accelerating the brands um, that that's really what, you know, this model works if you accelerate the brands and we want to be really focused on that. And, and so, you know, this last month, looking back, I think we were kind of really reflective on, on performance and things. And I, I'm just so excited because we crossed a bunch of really interesting thresholds, you know, a hundred brands, you really, you run into the scale issue, right? Like you're at a hundred brands, like you, you, there is so much complexity that you're managing. And so for us, I think that the vision has been, and will continue to be being tech first and tech enabled um, because you can't manage these brands um, and the complexity that comes with them, their supply chains and getting visibility into all of the, kind of the performance metrics um, without without having a tech platform that kind of just unifies everything for you. Um, I think all aggregators are realizing you acquire a brand that maybe has, you know, 70 to 90 percent of its sales on Amazon. But it today, e-commerce is, is not e-commerce it's moving towards just commerce and so that means that you're going to be a, a lot of the brands that you're going to acquire are going to be selling into other marketplaces at, at a smaller scale but they'll be there you know if it's a pet product it's going to be on chewy for instance and and it's going to be on kind of walmart.com and it's going to be having a shopify site and um looking into brick and mortar and things like that and so very quickly if, if you don't know how to just just get visibility of everything that's going on, the supply chain for all of those marketplaces and, and platforms and um, channels. Um, the, you know, what, what does your ad spend look like on each of them? And you, are you running ads profitably or not? Are you, do you have dynamic pricing on these brands such that you're not, you know, running unprofitable ads and things like that? Can, can your brand managers just see everything and make informed, intelligent decisions day to day? And so that's the first challenge. And I think that was what we were really focused on in 2021. And I think that the visibility is now there. And now I think 2022, what's exciting is the, the true optimization. How can we automate a lot of these things for, for brand managers? How can we have algorithms that are running on our platform that have all of our data, not just some of it, and can truly have dynamic pricing, truly like um, 
yeah, you know, because there's this, you know, with dynamic pricing, like you, there's this dance you have to play because, um, you know, if, if you're running into an out of stock position, typically like, you know, a, a pricing person would say, okay, raise price so you don't go out of stock and limit sale velocity. But Amazon will hurt really, really tank your um, organic rank if you do that. So there is a perfect medium that you have to arrive at. And so I think for the last year, we've been testing and seeing what is that perfect medium. And so I think we have an answer now and we can deploy that at scale across the brand. And, and that's really exciting. So well, and you guys and you guys just announced uh, a lot of help uh, coming from the inside inside Amazon itself. And I, I kind of want to just put it in the comment section for everyone who's listening and watching live and we'll link out to it. In the show notes, if you're listening to this, you guys made a pretty serious uh, hire recently within the ranks of Amazon itself. Not not a not a low level employee, pretty high level employee. Why don't, why don't you tell me about like that help and kind of that that vision that's now shared with yeah. somebody who's who's seen it on the inside of the the machine, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we hired as our new chief revenue officer, Christiana Helmick, who. Um, was previously at Amazon. She's a 13-year Amazon exec. She wore a lot of hats while she was there, a lot of different projects. But mo most recently, she was a director of consumer. Um, but she has she has been all over the place, and I really think that she has like this tech-centered kind of view um, in every single position that she's held. So you know, she was the director of the consumer um, more recently, but then she was chief product officer at Amazon Home. She was a category leader for Amazon's fast-growing kind of pet, su pet supplies division. And then she also, she joined Amazon coming from kind of the world of publishing and totally disrupted it going to Amazon um, with the Kindle newsstand. And, and so she was part of those early kind of Kindle Fire launches and really saw how like tech kind of tech first disruption can totally upend industries. And I think that, you know, what she's told us um, and told me is like she's just excited to join Perch because she was part of kind of tech first disruption going from publishing into Amazon. And then at Amazon, she kind of saw the evolution of e-commerce. And she really thinks like the evolution of e-commerce, kind of like I said before, is from e-commerce to just commerce. Like you have to be omni-channel. You have to be able to manage brands in, in you know, wherever the customer is. And, and so I think she is excited about Perch because there's this opportunity to grab a brand that has that social proof. It has 20,000 reviews on Amazon and we know consumers like it. The reviews are right there. It's, it's there for everyone to see where can we take it? Where can we scale it? And uh, to, to do so in a tech centered way is I think what excites her. And uh, you know, just talking to her has been like, so I get so hyped up because I'm like, you know what? Like there's progress here. Like, you know, everyone can talk about technology, but when you talk, with someone that has has like done amazing things with it in the past really gets it and understands it um to for them to then also get really excited you know is infectious and so i just i'm excited for 2022 to see what is you know what what cool algorithms i can shout out on linkedin in the future no that's amazing well i, I think that's a really cool Again, the vision is always going to be key and making sure that always aligns. But when you have people who've done it, like walk the walk, and if they talk the talk, that's also really, really exciting too. So I'm sure congratulations on that hire to everyone at the Perch team too. We actually had a couple, Nathan, if it's cool with you, we're just going to pause real quick because a couple of people on LinkedIn who are listening are super excited to ask you questions. I think um, make it make it flow with you if that works. Um, with what, But before we say that, again, everyone, if you do have questions, feel free to shout this out. If you're listening at a different time, we'll make sure Nathan gets tagged in this and he'll be following this post on LinkedIn and all of our social channels on YouTube, uh, Facebook as well. Um, but if you have questions, go ahead and shout those out too. We'll make sure we try to get to as many of them as possible. Uh, the first one I think was with Trey and Trey said, what platform or method are you using to aggregate all of your operational data sets for your portfolio of brands? It's a pretty good question. Thanks, Trey. It's, it's a great question. And I, I don't want to sound out of my depth because it's definitely, I'm not like on the product management side. Of I was going to say, there, there's probably other people that we can, are operating and using this kind of. Yeah, so, so. but but I'll do my best to answer it. So so we have kind of uh, what we formerly termed the extranet. It has now been rebranded, and I'm excited to kind of announce that a little bit more down the, the road. It's but we we're calling it Andes, the Andes platform, and um, so so it's an in-house platform that we built from scratch, kind of starting in the early days. Um, we we knew that we needed to have this tech focus like from day one, really, 
And so we've, our team has been fluctuated from like 20 to 30% of our team kind of engineers essentially from day one. And so um, in terms of what platforms are kind of underneath that and making that thing run, I couldn't tell you exactly. I've, I've heard things like Cloudflare. I've, I've heard like, you know, things along that line, but I can't tell you exactly. But I can tell you what's exciting is I think we, I, I think we had looked in Cloudflare, which is what is kind of centralizing all of the data, I guess. And there are now over a billion data points within that platform that we're using on all of these different things from dynamic pricing to ad prices to, to even just like getting visibility of your supply chain and kind of the, the nodes, the carrier nodes and things like that. So I hope that answers your question, but I definitely am not the most qualified person to talk about it. No, good question. I think um, this is what I've noticed too, where, where people like um, for companies at scale again, economies of scale are going to use a lot of the tools and um, resources, but then also in-house to building and making sure that everything that is internalized too, you're going to need to keep those operational proficiencies intact too. So that, that takes, like you said, 30% of your business to be engineers and whatnot to, to make sure everyone's talking to each other, um, inventory levels, things like that. It, it's all going to have to be done in-house. Um, you're not relying on outside components as much anymore too. Um, there's a couple other things. Um, I'm going to start with the second one that we came in uh, from Ravi here on LinkedIn. Um, Ravi asks on LinkedIn, uh, hey, Nathan, what category does Perch prefer when acquiring a brand? And what categories would not want to focus on? That's a pretty, I'm sure, a standard question for anyone in the aggregator space. But Nathan, is there a single category or categories you guys like to focus on or shy away from even? Yeah. Um, well, hey, Ravi, I, we've connected on LinkedIn a bunch of times, so I'm really excited to, you know, interact in this way. But Ravi's um, a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your question. Um, so, yeah, no, we're, we're pretty category agnostic. Um, if you look at our portfolio, we're, you know, we're everywhere. Um, I, I think that, you know, home and kitchen is, is a really great one on Amazon. So we have a lot of products in that portfolio. You know, we have kind of like patio products. We have, um, you know, toys and games. Um, we've recently, we've acquired a bunch of great ones. One is a gutter Games. shout out to gutter games, a UK brand that I really love. Um, and just a really fun, creative game that you can play with your whole family. It's, it's kind of like, um, uh, what do you call that cards against humanity, but in, in a slightly different and fun, irreverent way. Um, and, and yeah, but so the, the ones that we'll avoid, I guess, are, are ones that you would typically say, yeah, we're not going to acquire that type of brand. Either brands that don't have much defensibility, right? It's just something you could grab on Alibaba and it's really easy for a competitor to, to start fighting you on price and get into price wars. Um, we, we don't like categories that are, you know, are dangerous, you know, like weapons and things like that, of course. Um, but, but, you know, if you're a great brand that's growing um, and, and customers love you, then we're absolutely interested and we'll, we'll review it. And, um, you know, typically, I guess we say our minimum kind of revenue threshold is about a million dollars in revenue or about 200 million or 200,000 in kind of profit or SDE sellers discretionary earnings, which is a term I can unpack down the line. But um, yeah, I mean, that's 250, 250 yeah. is the minimum. Well, uh, 200 to 250, it's kind of, I, I suppose it's been creeping up, but we'll, we'll take a look for sure if it's around 200. Um, and I, I can't guarantee if we'll acquire everything. If it's complex at a lower number, really hard to kind of, if you have a really complex supply chain, lots and lots of SKU, you know, hundreds of SKUs, it might be more difficult to make that acquisition. Um, but, you know, we've, we've acquired some of the most, the largest and most complex brands out there, um, but they just happen to be large um, as well. So it just kind of depends. Or, sorry, I'm going to meet myself there. That's, that's what happens too. I can't press the hot button quick enough. Um, you, that, that's an interesting point too, Nathan. In your mind too, not everyone I, I would say is like, if they came to you, you're going to say yes to. Like, I think I think there's a capacity of which you have to be responsible enough of, hey, which ones is there opportunity for growth, but then also which ones are worth the time, money, and effort? Does that make sense? Like you have to, you're not only doing your fiduciary, fiduciary duty to investors, but also to where you can actually see growth. Is there not just category wise, but is, is there something where like a percentage of which maybe like brands do exit with you? Is that something that you guys share externally? I, I'm just curious, is that a notion or a, a statistic that you guys like to use uh, externally or internally? When, when you say percentage, what, what do you, in what way? So do you if I said, so if I said hundred brands come to you with their business, 
Again, right. you can't go specific because each of them are different. Yeah. Of of that, if if you're looking at your whole model of this is how many we had come to us, we are now 100 plus brands. Is that a percentage that's super high or super low in your in your thought that yeah. you might be closing on? Yeah, I think I think we've we've become more um, what we we've become more selective over time for sure. Um, and, and also I, in, in that same time, you know, we've, we've now become like well-known and I think we're getting like a decent amount of inbound every week, you know, like over, over. You and I have talked about this too, like, <laughs> off camera too. it's like, it's almost not a bad thing too, but I, I'm almost curious too, is that that gives you guys a little bit more power it, it, for lack of better term to say, Hey, we can be a little bit pickier now when people decide to, to exit the business. It's not just whatever comes in our inbox, we're going to acquire now it's, hey, we went a little bit cleaner. We can be a little bit more picky in that regard. Is that that's a, probably a positive for you guys, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and I, it, it's I couldn't give you a percentage to be honest. I'd I'd have to look through it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not I, I don't want any trade secrets or anything be shared on the yeah. podcast. Don't worry. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm curious if that's like if you think that's that's a trend too. Like we call we call this a little bit more trends wise. In the past, do you feel like in the past, it was like any brand who wanted to exit, it was almost without looking at numbers or just throwing money at people. That was more of the the norm instead of now where people are trying to be smart, strategic, be more not agnostic focused, but more category focused. Is that, let's call it, what's the 2022 trend going to be coming from aggregators like a perch or a smaller one we might not have heard of or a new one that might enter the market this year? Yeah. Well, it was, you know, I mean, 2021 was this crazy year because when I joined um, Perch, about $1 billion had been raised in the space, including Thrasio, who's kind of the largest player and, and Perch. Um, and and really, it was it was Perch and Thrasio kind of at the top. We then raised, you know, nearly a billion dollars ourselves um, to kind of double the figure um, in early 2021. And then, bam, things have popped off. And so now there's about $7 billion that's been raised across, you know, I think last we looked around 66 um, aggregators kind of globally. Um, and they're, they're, you know, um, you know, awesome aggregators in India, in Argentina, Brazil. I mean, it's, it's everywhere now. And, and so purchase still one of the largest ones, but there's competition everywhere. And I think everyone kind of made their first early acquisitions now, and they're dealing with the complexity of things. And so I think that, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the, the simple, easy to acquire brands that um, that customers love are, are have never been in more demand and they will continue to be that way. But I think that we're also going to start to see the, the aggregators be challenged by a supply chain that was hard in 2021 and might also be really hard in 2022. Um, and it's, it's actually troubling signs with, I think, supply chain with Omnicron because it's like, um, ports are closing down in China because of um, the, the way that they deal with um, supply chain issues. And so it's going to be fascinating to see what happens exactly. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know exactly what, you know, in terms of the approach aggregators take. Um, I, I think that generally the, the more mature ones, if you look at kind of what, what they're thinking about, it's let's, let's just acquire the best. Let, let's acquire the brands that, you know, we're okay. Um, you know, be having, you know, long conversations with them, really getting our heads around the business. And then let's, let's make this acquisition. Um, and for one like little thing that I can tell you, we love to see is branded search, um, which is atypical on Amazon. It's very rare for people to make a kind of a, a brand specific search in the keywords. And it, if you see a brand that does have branded search, it, it kind of shows you that they, there's something to it. Customers know who they are, they like the brand and they're looking for it on Amazon. And so typically they might have a slightly higher D to C presence. So the example that I use for this is we have a brand called baby Merlin. That is, is a little straight jacket for babies. Essentially, it looks like a straight jacket, but it's this great sleep suit that helps babies fall asleep. And it like really is, it's called baby Merlin because it works wonders. It's like truly magical and, and kids will fall asleep. And then it also prevents them from rolling and kind of having issues in the crib. Um, and, it's one of those brands that like I, I had I was visiting my sister and I was actually trying to order a baby Merlin after the acquisition because I was going to a trade show and I wanted some of our best brands to, to be there. And I was talking about how I was going to order this product. And my sister was like, whoa, 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 baby Merlin. 
and she like runs into her um, kid's you know room and comes back with a baby Merlin sleep suit. And it's just one of those brands that if you had a kid in the last you know five to ten years, like you you probably have come across or at least heard of baby Merlin. Great kind of social presence, great kind of influencer outreach. Um, and as a result, there's a lot of traffic on Amazon that shows in the keywords, you know, a high baby Merlin search velocity. And so brands that can do that are going to command a premium and and the purchase of the world, the Thrasios of the world, they're going to want to pay a premium for them because that is absolutely, a, you know, one of those acquisitions that I'm so proud of and just like love being able to, to share the story of the entrepreneur and just be play a small role in a brand that like has helped people truly and at least given parents sanity. So anyways, well, that's a fascinating insight. And I, and I, I want to kind of piggyback off of that. You got, you said Brandon search is a really important functionality of perch and, and what you guys look for, for a lot of brands out there who, who kind of want to make sure that they have all these things in line. Is there a commonality of which they don't have that in house or like that in house in line, uh, whether it be a Brandon search or, they don't have a DTC channel or what are those really important, like top five factors that have to be had in order to be considered for acquisition that you think, like we've talked about money kind of minimums, but is there other kind of components of which maybe I should start looking at them if I'm a seller that if I want to be acquired in the next 12 months or so? Yeah. Well, what I would tell you is, you know, if you're not on DTC now and you're saying, I want to exit, Maybe it would help me if I went onto the D2C channel and then I have like, you know, a broad array of different things. Maybe I launch on walmart.com. I would say, do what you do really well. Like it's better to go deep on Amazon and leave open the possibility for a perch to pull a growth lever for you that you might not have pulled than to do something and spread yourself thin and maybe not do as well on Amazon. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, and, and so it's interesting. Um, some of our best brands like Web Deals Direct is this kind of one of our largest acquisitions. Um, over 30 brands were part of that acquisition. So it was almost like acquiring a mini aggregator um, in terms of just the size of, of the brands. And, and right. you know, the, the it was like a hundred and million, hundred million dollars. It came with like warehouses and you said yeah. 10 plus deals. I know my, <laughs> <laughs> I, I read my pre era releases, man. So no, that was a, that was a very big company. And again, like you said, almost like a mini aggregator, but they built out all the series of brands, but they had so many nuances of like their own delivery warehousing and yeah. so many different uh, categories that they touched in. It was really cool. Yeah. And so they were, they were so fascinating because they, they had all this complexity, but like, if you look at their brands on Amazon, like they had, they, Adam, the founder is just a great, um, he, he has a background in SEO. Um, and, and so he's just great at making listings that are just optimized the, the merchandising was beautiful the packaging was beautiful and so his four biggest brands um there's there's a zap it which is kind of like a uh tennis racket that's electrified and can zap flies um which by the way i came to this apartment with my buddy and i saw a zap it on the counter i was like ah you're a perch man i see um but zap it a space saver is like a, a vacuum sealed kind of bag that can kind of compress stuff um, grill man. And I'm blanking on the last one, but, um, oh, flexi hose. And so these four brands are like optimized, like they're, they're great. Like, and, and so what, what's interesting is like, we want great products, but we also want room to grow them beyond where, where they are. And so typically like the, the opportunity, um, for most brands is like, oh, we can take you to new geographies. We can launch you in different countries. And so Adam had done that already. He'd already done that. And the listings were great. So we didn't need to optimize the listings. And so kind of the high level things that Perch can do right away, that quick kind of flip of the switch that can typically grow most brands. Adam had done a lot of those things. So what's exciting for Web Deals Direct and those brands is that I think there's long-term growth potential, but it's not going to be an overnight thing because the entrepreneur did great. And so I, I guess the takeaway for, for other brands is, you know, like brands, you, you don't have to kill yourself for a year going into an acquisition. Like, yes, get your revenue up, but like, don't, you don't have to perfect the brand and, and wait longer. This is actually a great time to exit because you still have the competition of other aggregators right now, which may or may not exist for the next two, three years. So, you know, if you get to the brand to a certain threshold, um, and you don't want to optimize beyond that, 
that's great because then we see growth levers and you'll see, you know, aggregators bid against each other for, for a great brand and a great product and, you know, whatever. So um, don't, it's surprising and it's counterintuitive, but like, don't over-optimize, um, get your revenue as high as possible, but you know, your multiple might be higher, even though your revenue might be slightly smaller, you know? Um, and, and it kind of evens out a little bit. Um, so, but, but I would say be clear about what you think the growth levers are. That's real. That's huge. When, it, when a brand owner can tell me, this is what we've done. This is what we know works. Here's what we want to do. Here's our vision. And here's how we think you could do it. That's so awesome. And it, it creates kind of a path for us, a, an easy way. And, you know, we all have our own point of view on that stuff as well. But like um, having that kind of laid out and aligned from the very beginning is really helpful. Um, so I, there are a bunch of other things I could should talk about, but I kind of went on a long and winding path on that. So maybe I'll, I'll pull up. That's there. what happens when we go in our dark hole. That is this podcast. It's <laughs> I suck people in and we don't we don't get to everything. No, it's um, I think that's an important thing. I think a lot of people when they hear the podcast or you hear about the importance. Amazon's even training that way of what's important now. It's branding and what that looks like in the eye of the beholder. It's always important if I'm a listener to understand, like, I need to have these in line in order to be considered in that priority of if I do exit my business or if I do become important in the eyes of Amazon or if I eventually just want to continue to play the game that is Amazon, what, what does that look like? And, and I think a lot of people are are trying to figure that out that way and what that brand looks like. It's not just a series of products that person is smart that a lot of people want to buy and using that data to to kind of like fit in those markets it's now a story. It's it's kind of that look and feel. It's in those different locales. Again, not stretching yourself too thin, but also optimizing to the point where um, if they do want to exit, they probably maxed out their capacity, whether it's by themselves or their team and and kind of looking for other people at scale. Again, yeah. the aggregator model of uh, yeah. rolling it up into a different portfolio. So, which yeah. is really cool. And that's, is, is there a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, just to jump off what you're saying, like, are you a brand or are you a collection of products? Because I think Amazon is so fascinating um, for people that are not in the world of Amazon. The way most people start is you have a tool, maybe Helium 10 or Jungle Scout, a tool that gives you, um, or even Amazon now gives you this data, um, where you can see the keyword velocity for terms. And so you look at the number of monthly searches for a term that, that could be related to a product, and you get an idea for the, the market size of, or you know, the, the size of whatever that, pro that niche is, and then you create a product that essentially fits that. And so you have these entrepreneurs who are essentially keyword arbitraging products into existence. You know, they see a need, they create a product, and then they start optimizing for that, that keyword so that they can get a share of that, you know, you know, percentage of those searches. So some entrepreneurs have these hilarious catalogs of products that have really no connection to each other. And they're great products and they're like filling a need, obviously, but there's no it's not cohesive. It's all over the place. And that kind of increases complexity and it makes it more difficult for an aggregator to acquire a brand that is spread really, really thin or kind of doesn't have a cohesive story that they're telling. So creating a brand that has a look and a feel um, that is distinctive, that people understand you can see it and it's not a, just an anonymous Amazon product, but it's truly a brand is differentiated. We love to see it. So that, you know, you're totally on board with what, when you're saying that. So here's my, here's my let's look inward moment. At what point does an aggregator do that same philosophy of let's not be a collection of a bunch of great products online. When do we start to streamline? This is who we are. I think a couple of people are starting to do that in terms of like, we're going to be really great at health and beauty or yeah. overall wellness or stuff like that. Not to say purchase does purchase does this. Um, I don't, I don't, I think a lot of people have to start to look at when you have a hundred products and they're all over the place of this company or this category, when do you start to build out that brand story of this is, this is where we do best and we yeah. start to optimize there. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a smart strategy and there should, you know, the aggregators that are doing that, I think that that's great because, you know, it's, it's really helpful to have everyone, all of your brand managers kind of just generally have a shared experience and an understanding of kind of like a similar market. Um, because when you're, when you have a lot of different products, what you have is, some of your portfolios like really seasonal, like the toys category is going to be like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, going into cyber five, it's going to be, you know, a haul for you um, where, you know, a vast majority of your sales are going to take place in that, that kind of, you know, month lead up to, or now these days, like several month lead up to Christmas. Um, 
And, and then some of your products are going to just be very steady throughout the year. And so it's, it is nice to have everyone kind of knowing what that's going to look like across the whole portfolio in one category. Um, so I think it's a smart strategy. I think for Perch, what that future looks like, I'm not quite certain. I, I think we'll stay agnostic um, kind of long-term. And like, I mean, if we're trying to essentially be a, a tech first um, next generation, like CPG company, like a Procter and Gamble, which does have what like consolidated areas of products, but definitely is like a shotgun approach to products. And they're highly acquisitive too. They, they acquire a lot of brands. Um, and that's key to their, their growth over time as they continue to acquire brands, um, pretty consistently, but, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in one area and, and they've done really, really well. So I think that we'll just keep acquiring great brands that we think customers love and have like long-term potential, you know? Absolutely. Well, with acquisition, I know that's the base, basic model of an aggregator. I'm always curious to think, is Perch ever put on the radar of, and a lot of people might think this too, if they're sellers of, why not just look in-house? And this goes along with our talent discussion, what we talked about at the top of the the you know podcast is, what if we just looked in-house and we just developed it ourselves? Is there a component of which there's just brand growth within the company itself as we are Perch products. This is like organically grown uh, Perch product, uh, not by, we're buying it from a farmer down the road. Again, very terrible metaphors. I'm a, I'm known for those. If you ask anyone, I'm terrible at metaphors. Um, I, never, I always have, I never have the same one. So instead of buying it from a person down the road, what if we just grew it ourselves? Is that component on the radar? Will it ever be on the radar? Can you... Yeah say anything about that or is that just something that's been thrown around internally yeah no it's it's on the roadmap and it has to be um every aggregator i think has to has to think about um you know your own product innovation so so we have a team on product innovation that i think first looked at our portfolio and said how can we innovate that will create kind of like scale portfolio cost savings first and foremost so and they joined right around when i joined so looking at the portfolio and saying oh this product actually, like, if we change the packaging just a little bit, we'll go from, you know, this class of packaging to, to this one that's slightly smaller and slightly less. And we'll save a dollar on, you know, per unit uh, on, you know, FBA fees, essentially, which is like actually awesome. And that's where you need to start with product innovation is, is thinking, you know, portfolio innovation that can create cost savings across the whole portfolio. And once that's optimized, um, which you'd be surprised that like, how often that's where there are like savings there that just the entrepreneur didn't have time to think about it and isn't really like a packaging design person. Um, they can design great products. They love the product, but they're not thinking about like, how can I get into that smaller class of whatever? So starting there, but I think that that we've evolved the thinking in the year or so since um, we kind of built out that function to really be looking for, um, we have like a review velocity tracker for our brands so that everyone can just see, okay, like across the whole portfolio, when are reviews going up? When are they staying stagnating? When are they going down? And then that can kind of lead them to think, okay, well, I need to investigate reviews here and why. And it creates this really cool data-driven, oh, customers really want, like the example that I always think of is we have Presti, which is like a plastic champagne flute. So customers like want a little bit more heavy duty version of this. So it's a plastic champagne flute let's get a heavy duty one um, kind of for those, those people that are going hard for their, you know, their picnics or whatever, and don't want to break the plastic or whatever. So we have introduced that product as a heavy duty thing. And so, so then there's product innovation within a brand family. Um, that's just kind of a variation, I guess. And then the, I think the future of it and where we're headed is to, you know, truly be launching totally new differentiated products under a brand name, um, uh, creating opportunities for cross and like kind of upselling, uh, within kind of brand accounts, you know? Um, and, and so that's what I'm excited about. And I wish I knew more about it. Cause I think that's, that's the lifeblood of the Amazon FBA, you know, community is like being able to think creatively and the entrepreneurs in most cases, the people that, that created the brands are the best at that. And so we love getting to just pick their brains because we've been working with the best of the best, um, as they've transitioned their businesses over to us. And I think that institutional knowledge is, is here now. And like, let's go, let's launch products because that's the future. And it's much cheaper than in some cases acquiring a brand. Um, 
we'll still acquire it. But yeah, I was gonna say it makes sense too because obviously it makes natural sense to grow within that own portfolio. But the incubation component of it is you have the talent, you have the people who see the data, you're in it, you have the systems that place at scale. That that's where a lot of people are. I'm thinking are when when does that flip on? And and I think like maybe that was 2022 all along, and we've just been waiting for it forever for people like you and me who are just in it every single day. Um, but I think that actually goes to a question that just came in on, again, LinkedIn uh, from Ruben. Um, again, thank you, Ruben, for submitting your question. It says, hi, Nathan, how many, how much you are you focusing on growing your SKU count or complementary products of a specific brand after acquisition as a means of growing brand portfolio? So similar yeah. in that, is there anything to iterate or kind yeah. of add on to that, Ruben, or from Ruben? Yeah, well, thanks for the question, Ruben. I think it's a good one. I, I would say it's not the first growth levers that we're going to look at. They're kind of base level um, growth levers that we're going to go to from day one. Can we take it to new geography? Um, can, can we expand into the UK, the EU? Can we um, take it into different marketplaces? Can we optimize the SEO? Can we optimize the merchandising? Um, will this fit well into our affiliate marketing program? Get it, you know, featured by, you know, awesome articles, um, you know, People Magazine, things like that. And, and all of those growth levers will be kind of that first layer of growth. And, the, and then from there, I think a long term, we, we, we do look like where are the complementary product um, opportunities. And so we have that kind of product innovation team very early in with the brand, you know, as we're in some cases in the diligence process, I believe, but certainly after we've acquired the brand, they're in there with the entrepreneur talking through where is your vision for launching complementary products. And oftentimes, you know, the, the seller knew they wanted to sell but they had a vision as well beyond that sale date for new product launches and things like that. So it's understanding what that vision is and then, and then kind of creating our own vision together with what we think is possible. And at this point, I think we work with over 250 manufacturers. So another really exciting thing for me is we, we, we now have kind of an upstream logistics team that is looking to consolidate manufacturers, looking to kind of really now start increasing order volume at you know specific ones so that like those scale savings are there and and i think that we're working really closely with manufacturers now so that those relationships exist that if we want to do a new run you know it's really cheap to do it and there's not much risk um because you know an entrepreneur a new run of a new product like you know putting getting that inventory um with the way the supply chain is, it could just cost more than it used to. And so you're taking more risk by launching new products. And I think that we can kind of spread that risk out across a whole portfolio and with, you know, a lot more money to be safe if things don't work out, you know? Right. Financially money gets tied up into product. And if it's, if it's on the water and it gets stuck there, that's very difficult to know that it's not in a warehouse or ability to be sold. Um, I think a lot of people are looking at option B and C and D as viable options now to become option a instead because of that one thing of time money effort continuously going back to say maybe we can do this in latin america or mexico or a little bit closer in that capacity or even shipping from a different country of uh europe again coming to the east coast uh instead of the west coast always again nothing wrong with uh we're sourcing logistics from asia just it's a it's the nature of business at, at scale. It's, it's hard to kind of operate. Um, Nathan, in the last 10 minutes I got with you before we have to run, what do you think is the one thing that like uh, purchase may be like the most critical of themselves of like, hmm. we aren't doing this great. We're not maybe uh, where we should be, or we have envisioned. What's the thing that you feel is most critical of like, man, we really stink in this yeah. Avenue venue or whatever that might look like. Yeah. Good question. Um, man, I, I think, um, and again, this is not reflective, uh, your, for your boss or anything like that. <laughs> public forum He's yeah. not listening or anything. Like that. This <laughs> is just honest feedback of where do you think there are most opportunities for growth? I would, I would probably put it that way. Yeah. Well, I wish I was on the brand growth side. So I saw it more day to day than I do. Cause I'm kind of on the corporate comms, like M and a side of things. So I wish I had more perspective on, on kind of the growth questions, but I, from a organizational perspective, um, man, like we acquired a lot of businesses in 2021 and it was hard, you know, like it was so hard and we had to hire, you know, to, you know, over 200 people in the space of a year. So I think organizationally, 
I sometimes think of us as like almost like a bit of like an, an anaconda or, or, you know, a big snake that just swallowed a little baby hippo and is like digesting it, but needs a second to digest it. You know, like I think that we ran so hard. We acquired some of the biggest Amazon businesses in, in the world, really. I mean, like I think four top 100 Amazon sellers, maybe in, in some cases top 50, I'm not sure. But um, and so we we grew really fast, really hard. And so I think everyone has been frantic for like a full year. And and so now we're in a position where things are not as frantic. So I'm just excited to have caught our breath, um, have like pulled the organic growth playbook like off by the skin of our teeth, you know, through sheer like determination, honestly. And like Q4 was like a really great Q4 um, in terms of organic growth and like really proud of the team. But like, I know that like everyone's so exhausted, you know? And so I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to hire and kind of grow out the team. We'll continue to kind of, um, I think we, we built everything, the structures now, and now it's like time to go out and like get it again. Um, I just hope that we don't stretch ourselves as thin as before. Cause I think brand managers are, you know, tired and like Christmas came and we were like, Oh, <laughs> so I, you know, that's, that's one answer. And I'm sure I wish I could give you something specific about growth. That would be, you know, man, like if we, if we only did merchandising better or whatever, you know, sorry, no, no disrespect to our merchandising. I think we've done great. Um, maybe, maybe one other answer is um, working or finding a way to kind of work with vendors um, and sorting through, cause there's some great vendors in the space and sorting through and understanding you know, when is something, should it be done in-house today or should it be done via a vendor today with the long-term vision of in-house? And I think we've have, had a bias towards doing stuff in-house and like, you know, just making it hurt worse now, but with long-term, you know, payoff. But I think there's some great vendors, technology vendors, um, service vendors that like, you know, I, I just know personally from being in kind of the, you know, the partnership marketing world where I'm like, man, I'd love to work with that person. And, and so, but you know, there are so many and it's tough to sort through and probably no one better than Ryan Kramer to, to help you sort through that, that group actually. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I won't say that you're wrong, but I don't need the flattery in my own podcast, Nathan. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Um, no, I, I, yeah, there, there's a lot of things to look at that. And I think it's, I think it's kind of finding the way, right? Like we were talking pre-show of the education realm of like everything changes at an instance. Everyone has is on the same footing, whether it be someone who's operating hundred brands or someone who's operating just their own, everyone's playing by the same rules in theory um, on, on Amazon. And also at scale, it can economies of scale, not no one's fault, but it's, there's always so much more you can do, but that comes with it a lot more time of people power. Again, we talked about talent. We talked about tech. There's a lot of different people that help people get to where they have that vision. Is it is it kind of self gratifying to to know that if people walk the day walk away and they're saying I'm I'm leaving my brain in good hands. I know they can do something that maybe I wasn't able to and be capable to on that journey. Or like, what is that emotion? Have you have you sat down when an acquisition is happening? Like, what what is that like for a brand uh, acquiring, but also watching the brand owner kind of sign the dotted line and yeah, virtually hand it over, if you will. Yeah. Well, I think I, I count it as one of the greatest pleasures of my career to, to see entrepreneurs go through that process. Um, because, you know, I mean, Amazon is like a stress inducing environment because anything could happen. You could have the black hat tactics going, going into an acquisition. We've had some brands where some of the brands got taken down as they're being acquired, you know, and it's just sucks for everyone, you know? So what I like is when they finally sign, they no longer have that stress, you know? Um, in, in some respects they do, they might have like an earnout or something, a performance-based incentive for the brand over time. But, um, you know, typically it's like taking the risk off the table for them. It's, it's about seeing like the vision for their brand. Like, oh my gosh, like I, I can tell you, there's nothing more gratifying than talking to like a seller who sees their product at target, you know, they go into target and they see the product. Oh my gosh. Like, isn't that awesome? Um, you know, baby Merlin the other day, I, I have lived in New York, um, up until recently. And so we're going to get that product into Saks Fifth Avenue and I'm just up from Saks Fifth. So like, you know, I went to Saks Fifth and just like looked at where it was. I was like, oh my gosh. And I was texting, um, 
who essentially I, I believe is a co-founder of that brand. She she's not, but she was there from the very early days and she stayed on with Perch to kind of continue like managing that brand. And I was just texting her. I was like, this is so exciting, isn't it? And she just went off. She was so happy, you know, like, and that's so like the most gratifying thing to see. Um, and so I think that, yeah, like the sellers are excited to see their brand in brick and mortar and see it gain more visibility and have their baby like grow up. Um, and, you know, it's not to like their, their babies in a lot of ways have grown up. So I don't want to like infantilize them, but like, you know, to, to see them grow further is like really exciting. And so I just love being a fly on the wall. I, you know, I'm not operating these brands, but I get to see them really intimately. And like, thankfully, like I have a bunch of friends who just happen to be like the most successful Amazon entrepreneurs of all time. And that's, I, that's just an absolute pleasure. And like being able to text Adam Feinberg from time to time and just talk, you know, and then just get to like, listen about what he's been doing with his brand is like such a pleasure. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. No, it does. I, I, I think that that is something that, again, a lot of people find gratification in. Like I have myself find gratification when you can help people achieve their goals. I think that's part of the service mentality of making sure you can take people, they don't know how to get there. And then you're kind of finding them to get to that goal, ultimately push over the line, that last mile, if you will, um, get them, get them there, coach them through it. And and kind of hand them off, if you will. I think that's super cool um, for companies like Perch. And that's why I'm excited for the space as it evolves again, super young, just like Amazon, super young e-commerce we talked about, very young in the market still of even if you're not in it, you're not on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, this industry ages you. I feel like <laughs> I grew a beard because of this this darn industry, no, uh, stuff like that. But it, it's super cool to see businesses kind of take that on again. I know there's a lot of like... Um, ways here and there of which the industry will continue to grow and evolve. Um, I guess in the last five minutes, actually, it was part of a question someone Ruben asked again. Um, I won't throw it up there because it's a little long. I don't want to take up the entire screen. But how, how we see in 2022, like, is, is that is this something that you think might happen to is we said 60 plus aggregators out there, there's always a consolidation is there brands that are sold to one maybe resold in the capacity of which maybe they bit off more than they can chew. Is that something that Perch plays in that world? Or is that something that you guys are looking to acquire more? How, so, how does that work? That's a good question. Um, you know, the only example that I can think of that fits that bill for us would have been Web Deals Direct, in which um, Adam and his team acquired acquired a few brands in they, they mostly grew their portfolio of 30 brands, but a, a handful of them had been acquisitions. And so essentially were resold. Um, and that worked out really well for them, I think. Um, in terms of like individual brands, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of an example of it. Not is that because... something, maybe maybe instead of an example, is that something you see down the line of maybe yeah. that there is this, this handoff, if you will, of someone, I won't say a name because I haven't heard about it and I'm sure you haven't either. Someone comes knocking your door like, we just don't have the capacity or we want to really slim down and we want to really refocus. We have a pet food company we want to focus on health and beauty here it is and we want to pass it over some sort of acquisition between aggregators or businesses like that is that is that definitely viable feasible yeah definitely for aggregators i see consolidation happening down the line um you can't be paying you know three four five you know in some cases six or seven x for a business for a long period of time unless you're really tremendously growing them um and and I think with with the supply chain hurdles that everyone's faced and then now are realizing are going to continue well into 2022, unless you have an excellent operations team that is getting you really cheap containers, you know, like it's going to the costs are only going to go up for you. Um, and so you might have acquired a brand thinking, well, you know, like things are going to maintain where they've been. Sales are going to stay high. Operational challenges will go down and like maybe they haven't. So definitely there's a future in which brands are going to get sold um, on an individual level. Yeah, for sure. And then definitely with aggregators, I think for sure as well. And like, we'll take the calls for sure. We're, we're expecting them, I think. So you're open for business, right? No, exactly. that makes sense. Hey, Nathan, I hate to cut you off. I would talk forever with you. I know you probably have to go and you're busy today, but uh, where people can learn about you or Perch or any of the other information we talked about today, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, go to www.perchhq.com. There are two H's in there. And um, yeah, and then find me on LinkedIn, Nathan Siminski.
Um, awesome. but yeah, pleasure, man. Thanks for hosting. Yeah, no problem whatsoever. Thank you so much for hopping on again. You're already friends of the show, but now you have your own episode, so you can stand yeah, alone yeah. on it and share with people. Hey, we'll have you on again in the future. I know great things are coming around for Perch. So uh, thanks again for hopping on today uh, from your music studio. Cool, man. Yeah. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan. Again, thank you everyone for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. This is episode 207 or 208. I'm going to say it right. Uh, one of these times. 208. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Make sure you subscribe to our channels on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, um, and make sure that you get notified of future episodes. Again, we'll go live tomorrow just to throw up the banner of whom is coming on tomorrow. We're going to be talking about I'm going to convert uh, with Valentin Radu. We're talking about customer life on value and e-commerce. So that'll be super exciting to make sure you come back re-listen, re-watch on your favorite podcast or social media platforms live or after the fact. I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. Thank you so much, Nathan and Perch, for coming on today. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.